Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cavalry Audio. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to our podcast, Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Danielpour. And hopefully you guys are enjoying uh, a little bit of knowledge that we've been dropping over the last couple episodes. And uh, I think we've got some exciting things in store for today. You know, we missed you over the last uh, week or so, and we've been super busy. A couple of nice mommy makeovers last week um, that I enjoyed, even though my arms are still hurting from all the liposuction. (laughs) Um, I saw a rhinoplasty that you did last week that I thought was beautiful on a young girl that was going to college. Thank you. Um, Those are always very gratifying, don't you think? Definitely. I think, uh, you know, those facelifts and rhinoplasties all, uh, you know, when they work out well, it's a a game changer. So Uh, what do you, uh, what do you have planned for us today? Well, today, I think we're going to do something a little fun. I think we're going to call it a little gimmick or game changer. And I think this will be something exciting for us. We're going to talk about some of the common trends out there, um, you know, things we hear about in the news and whether or not they work or they don't. But uh, has there been anything in the news recently that we've seen? It pertains to one of our recent episodes. Um, Anything you can think of? Um, You know, it's interesting. This is something that's been... Um, on our radar since we started practice because we have been one of those guys that always wants to debunk myths because it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole and kind of get information or misinformation and use it and then see that you either wasted a lot of time or a lot of money and got nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing I did see in the news that I think we should bring up just kind of educate people is how some sunscreens are being taken off of the market because they have benzene in them. Definitely. Um, why? Who cares? What does benzene do? Why is it a problem? It's been used for years. Um, tell us what that's all about. Yeah, sure. It's, listen, it's been all over the news. J&J just pulled uh, some of Neutrogena's uh, sunscreens, these spray sunscreens. Um, you know, benzene's are Poor really- and I know. They just keep getting hit one after another. Uh, you know, the, the, some of these sunscreens that contain benzenes, these are actually carcinogens. And so, you know, if you look at some of the European sunscreens, they have actually banned a few chemicals and the, you know, such as benzene, oxybenzone, you know, different derivatives of that. That's interesting because normally we are the ones that ban and Europe normally keeps things going. So Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, these things are not FDA approved. Uh, They have to meet a a specific safety profile. And that's why I think that we're starting to take closer looks at them because they may be easy to spray. And it's not every single one, but um, the idea is we want to stick to some of the safer ones. We mentioned last time 
titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. Just something that we want to throw out there uh, for those of you who are enjoying your summer. And just so you guys know, because he uses a lot of big words, carcinogenic um, (laughs) means cancer forming. And the type of cancers that the benzenes can kind of form or cause are blood disorders, mostly leukemias. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that you can use it for a while. It's not that you're going to get a skin cancer from it. You're not going to get something that's noticeable, but it can actually be absorbed by your body and cause um, either leukemia or some sort of blood disorder. So stay away from benzenes. um, Use uh, sunscreens that don't have them. Just look at the ingredients. I think you're better off that way. Awesome. Great advice. And uh, otherwise, you've been good this week? Yeah. I mean, I sit next to you, so I'm perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Listen, we have way too much fun. So, uh, and and this is is no exception. And and with this, 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 um, episode that we're doing with gimmicks and, and game changers. If you guys have any questions, you mm-hmm. can always drop it in our comments. And next time we come on and do the next podcast, we can always address that. If you've if you've had a gimmick or if you've tried a game changer that's really worked for you, we'll be happy to talk about it and actually shed more light on it. So yeah, you're always there to, to, to help us out if you have any other questions. And definitely. And I think a lot of these things, listen, if we have data, we'll use it if it's subjective data, we'll at least let you know that. And um, also, we'll kind of give you our opinion just based off of the uh, of anatomy and physiology and things that we should expect. Um, and so hopefully you can learn something. I think maybe what we uh, start off, and these are all things that our users have sent in. Um, so I'm going to start off with a fun one. This is rice water. I know we've all heard of using rice water on the skin. We've looked at some of the uh, the benefits, especially in Asian communities, and and it, they always look so young for their age. And so some people think, oh man, well maybe this is something magical. Well, listen, there's no magic in rice. However, uh, if we look when you when you take rice and you put it in water, sometimes it becomes a, that cloudy or milky type of water. And really, what's happening is that the water leaches some of the nutrients uh, out of the actual rice into the water. And so, when you look at uh, some of the different uh, characteristics of what's in rice water, we can kind of look to see whether or not that's helpful for the skin. So, um, there are really three main things that we look at that can help the skin. And one of them is ferulic acid. Very strong antioxidant. Uh, this is great for uh, those scavenging, those free radicals in the body that form and cause damage. Um, the second is allantoin. This is something that discourages dryness and encourages brightness. And so um, this is something that can be found in in skincare products as well. And the last thing is vitamin E. This is a fat-soluble vitamin that really helps plump the skin and helps with hydration. Um, And so those three things uh, uh, can make this a very interesting addition to anyone's skincare. And, And it's the cheapest thing in the world. You really take, you know, a half cup of rice, you place it in two cups of water, and really allow that to seep in for at least 15 minutes. And then what you do is you strain off the rice and you can collect that and put it in the fridge. And once it, you know, this is after boiling. So at least for five minutes, you let it sit, then you put it in the fridge. And once it's completely cool, uh, you'll go ahead and uh, you can use that. And I think, you know, some people say, how, how, what's the easiest way to, to place this on it? You know, and what order? I think probably the greatest place to put this is, 
after you cleanse your face because your, your skin is just waiting for some nutrients. And so you can just take a cotton ball and you can uh, uniformly place this all over your face or you can even put it in a little spray bottle with a nozzle and you can spray it onto your face. And it's not something that you wipe off. You just let it absorb into the skin and then go about your daily routine. Wow, that's that's interesting. I'm going to try that myself. It's, uh, um, coming from the culture that I do, we have a lot of rice, so <laughs> the, the, the amount of the amount of rice water that we have access to mm-hmm. is is very plentiful. That's right. Um, making some toddy. Very very interesting. This is something that that I knew about, uh, but I didn't know it was this great. Um, I'm going to move on and talk about jade rollers. Um, mm. And people have, to, have probably heard about these jade rollers and and and. Really, does it work? Is it something that you should do? Um, why should we do it? Um, now, the one thing I will say is most of these things aren't really going to harm you. So it, when we do talk about gimmick or game, game changers, is it, it might be a gimmick. It might just be a big waste of your time, but it's not really going to hurt you. With, with the jade rollers, on the other hand, they're actually very beneficial. Um, and by just taking them and using them on your face and using them in, in, in a upward and outward direction, what you're doing is is you're increasing blood flow to the face and you're actually draining the lymphatics, which cause swelling most of the time. Really effectively, it's something you can do on a nightly basis. I know people that actually put it in the freezer um, because it feels really um, cool and and soothing to the skin. Um, And really it's just a great way to increase blood flow and, and Take the swelling down and show really the underlying structure of your face. Uh, very simple, very effective, and very inexpensive. And some of these little hacks that we are teaching you that you could do at home cost pennies, and they really help um, keep you looking really good. Yeah, I think. And is there a special way you have to use the jade roller? Or you just get, you know, is there any specific one you have to buy? It's kind of, you know, I think there's there's so many different things out there. Um, you know, is there a technique that you would recommend? I mean, again, I would I would do it where you're rolling everything out and up um, if you can. So, you know, start on the inside of your face so medially and then push it laterally or outwards. So start where your nose is and then bring it out to your cheeks. So you're really draining everything because that's how your, our lymphatics drain anyways. Mm-hmm. So if we can do it that way, I think it's more effective. A lot of people say that they kind of find their own way of doing it, but we find that that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I've seen people do that on one half of their face and you can clearly see a difference, especially under the eyes. And so, you know, it's it's basically just a demonstration showing as you roll the eye. And again, as you said, you go upward and outward because the chain of lymphatics is really over in front of the ear and lead down and drain into the neck. And so that's, especially after a, a night out or something like that, we can easily see, uh, you know, some puffiness the next morning. It's probably one of the best things in the world. And I think, you know, most jade rollers are probably, you know, pretty standard. Yeah, I think you can buy any of them and use them. And, you know, some are going to be, obviously a little more sturdy and some of them are going to break down a little more the more you use them, but you'll kind of figure out how to do it. Um, I think it's very beneficial. And like John said, I think there are times where you're going to want to use them more because you're going to feel puffy. You're going to feel swollen. Some people feel that way. And this really helps to kind of relieve that. Definitely. And that cold, uh, you know, that addition you made of keeping it cold, I think is, uh, that's uh, half the game changer right there. I'm going to be rubbing rice water on my face with a jade roller. (laughs) 
So now, you know, I think we're going to head off to the next topic. So I don't know if you've read, you know, there have been multiple uh, beauty magazines that have come out with the mini fridge saying you have to keep your uh, different products in the fridge. Now, is this a gimmick or is this a game changer? We're talking about those tiny little fridges that you can keep plugged in. Um, You know, some of them are even battery operated and they keep, uh, you know, your skincare products probably in the range of 45 to 65 degrees, something like that. And, And the idea is... Do your skincare products last longer? Can they be more effective? Um, You know, because you're putting it on cooler, does that actually help? Well, we looked into this. And so the idea is um, when you look, because we have the luxury of having our own skincare line. And so with Beverly Hills MD, the idea is we can talk to the manufacturers and the engineers and, and things like that. And so when you look at some of the products that are placed together, obviously there are certain bases that are, uh, mixed in with our actives, our active ingredients. And some of those bases are really there to blend the product into a homogenous type of thicker liquid, uh, you know, depending on the product. It's not the temperature that is an issue. So keeping something cooler, we're not worried that it's heating up and, and that it loses its, its efficacy. The issue with why skincare products uh, slowly lose their efficacy is because of oxidation. And so after you open the product, so we can look at shelf lives and and all things like that. So let's say we've never opened a product that remains sealed, probably going to last longer than the uh, expiration date. But we put that on there just in case because things will lose their potency over time. Now, once you open that and you release the seal and oxygen now comes in contact with some of the active ingredients, that's when oxidation occurs. And although, albeit it may be slowly, um, you know, a product will slowly oxidize over time. The second thing is many of the products that are oil-based, once you place the product within a fridge, and so you're going less than 68 degrees or less than 65 degrees, suddenly that oil starts to turn a little more solid. So what we don't want to do is take the bases that are used and separate the products by placing them in the fridge. Doesn't mean you have to throw that fridge away. I think that's a great place for the jade roller. Um, There are certain medicines that uh, are temperature. Uh, The topical medicines, one of them is Triluma. That is a hydroquinone, a retinol, as well as a, a, a small amount of a steroid. And that actually, when you keep in the fridge, will last longer. Uh, because that particular medicine is uh, temperature sensitive. But as far as your regular uh, overall products, I think the idea is as long as you keep them in ambient temperatures, we don't heat them up or really cool them down. Keep them really, you know, right around, uh, you know, anywhere from uh, 68 to 74 degrees, something like that. I think most products are going to, uh, you know, have their efficacy as long as, uh, as, as possible. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I agree with you. And it's interesting because this is why it's a gimmick. For years and years and years, we've always kept skincare products on our counters. On you know, they, they, When you go to Sephora, there's not a big fridge. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't make sense. Now, there are, like you said, a couple products that are there. And I think just when you buy your products, just take a look at them. 
90% of them or more, probably 95% of them don't need to be refrigerated. There are some with, with ingredients that will last longer. And I mm. think don't get sucked into all of the extra stuff that needs to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, simpler is always better. Awesome. Let's move on to to a big trend over the last <laughs> couple of years. And interestingly enough, I it's such a trend that I went to a course because I was really curious about this. And it's these threads or the PDO threads. Mm-hmm. Um, so threading is is a is a really kind of big fad right now. Depending on who you talk to, some people think it's the best thing that's ever happened. Now, I want you to kind of consider what threading is. Now, you're taking a thread. Most of the time when we say PDO, it's a non-permanent thread that ends up actually absorbing into your body over time. And it's a barbed suture, right? So it's a, most of them are bar, barbed sutures. There are some thin ones now that they're putting superficially to cause collagen production. Now, mm-hmm. the interesting part is anyone can do this. All you need is an afternoon course of maybe a few hours. Um, and here's my take on it before we talk about anything else. If someone does a few hours of training on something, are you going to really let them stick a bunch of needles and threads into your face? In my opinion, I think it's completely, it's, it's, it's just, you're asking to have issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we are fully trained plastic and reconstructive surgeons. We know the anatomy and physiology of your body and, and really know how facial aging especially works. And we know that if you just put in these threads, what can happen? Number one, it is a blind procedure. So meaning we're not opening anything up. We're putting in threads to certain areas, whether it's to lift the brow or to lift the corner of the eye or to bring up a jowl or to create a sharper angle of the jaw or to make the neck tighter. All of these, and there are multiple other areas we could do this. People are putting it in the abdomen. People are lifting knees with little threads. I want you to really kind of conceptually think about we're lifting up someone's knee with a small little thread. Well, as soon as you start walking for a prolonged amount of time, it's going to give. And and these are the things that we're seeing over the last couple of years that we're having problems with. Number one, malposition. So you put something in that doesn't look like the other side. So you have two completely asymmetric sides because if you cut the face in the middle, there's two sides, right? So one brow is a little bit higher than the other, or you go home, it looks great. Three weeks later, one side snaps. So now you have one side that's lower and the other side that's higher. And I did have a patient, you know, the funny part is that I have placed some of these myself and I did have a patient where we tried lifting the brow. It looks great temporarily. And all it took was one strong expression and one side snaps. And uh, now you've got that asymmetry. It's, you know, it's, I think it's a ridiculous procedure as well. And again, and we can go on and talk. We have, we dedicate a whole podcast to this and we're not going to, but in our opinion, it is, there are better ways to get really nice results without having to put in threads in the face blindly. And that's my problem with all this. It's you're putting in blindly. What if you catch a nerve? Mm -hmm. What if, what if you, what if you catch? We've had a patient like that. Mm -hmm. We had a patient like that who developed a facial palsy on one side, uh, so a weakening of that side because a thread was placed too deeply. And so, um, you know, it hooked a nerve and it doesn't matter if you take that thing out because once you've damaged the nerve for a prolonged period of time, and you have to imagine the threads used to be permanent and they were wrought with complications because years later they would necessitate their way out or wiggle their way out of the skin or cause further dimpling or issues. You have to imagine 
you have mimetic muscles of the face. That means you make expressions. So even if you place a thread and it looks great in repose, meaning you're not making an expression, you're, you animate, your face moves. All of a sudden you start seeing dimpling and uh, you know contour regularities and things like that. And I, I'm a firm believer, listen, I love Demi Moore, but that photo, that infamous photo where of her walking down the runway and it looks like she's a joker because there, it almost looks like a cleft at the side of her lip. I think that was likely a thread that was placed and looked amazing when she was in static repose. She, but once she started to smile, Oh man, it just accentuated that pull and looked very abnormal. It's an unfortunate photo right there. And again, most of the time what we'll tell you is if it's too good to be true, it normally is, number one. And if it's really easy to do, um, they say no incisions, it's going to take minutes, you're in and out, and it's going to look like a facelift. Don't believe it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just not going to happen. I, listen, trust me, as plastic surgeons, we do all of these procedures. We would love for something to be that easy because we could churn and burn. You know, People come in through the door, it'd be very easy. I would say, listen, you're also talking about thousands of dollars. You know, um, and if it's done by someone who's a appropriately trained professional. And so- if money is no object, then go ahead, get it done. It'll last for a weekend, <laughs> even if it lasts three months, because that's really the PDO. You know, mm -hmm. by three to six months, it's gone. And so, um, you know, if you've got all the money in the world, by all means, go ahead and do it. But uh, if you're looking for better procedures, we we definitely can offer something that's a, a little more permanent and effective. And again, there, there's going to be people, there are going to be nurses, nurse injectors, and cosmetic doctors and others that will swear by it. Um, but from our standpoint, we'll kind of give you the down and dirty, tell you exactly what the truth is behind everything. And then you can take it from there. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's PlasticsDocs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. <laughs> Definitely. You know, the next one, which I think is, uh, it's relatively new, probably been around for the last year. It's called the lip flip. And this essentially is one of the easiest little fixes to try to rotate the lip, uh, you know, in an upward fashion to try to give the illusion that our Cupid's bow, which is the area on top of the lip, uh, is, tends to be a little higher and that we've got a little more thickness to the lip. Now, what is the lip flip? Lip flip is essentially tiny bits of Botox that are just above the vermilion border of the lip. And we usually put those, the vermilion border is really what separates the regular skin from the lip. Very distinct anatomic location. Lately, and, people have been injecting it with a lot of filler, so it mm -hmm. becomes the vermilion uh, crossroad. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> Not is. Not the border. <laughs> yeah, and too much gives you that duckish-like look. Uh, you know, the idea behind it is to give a nice crisp, what we call Cupid's bow. The lip flip, 
where we actually, you know, some people, uh, I think the way this was originally discovered is people who had the lines, uh, you know, smokers lines around the mouth, even if you didn't smoke or they, you know, use straws for a long period of time, um, those vertical lines that go on the upper lip. So we tried using what we called micro Botox. And so maybe four units total, or even two units, one each at the peak of Cupid's bow. And what they noticed in trying to alleviate some of that resting tension of the upper lip is that the upper lip looked a little bigger. And so you have to imagine the orbicularis oris, which is the muscle that is around the mouth. It's a circular muscle that's actually broad. It's wide. It's probably uh, you know an inch wide. And so if you can target a portion of that to relax while the rest contracts, uh, the idea is if you put it at the just above the lip, that part relaxes and allows the part that's just under the nose to lift the lip upward. So it, it really is genius. You have to know the anatomy correctly. Now, can anyone do it? Yeah, anyone can inject it. The idea is you've got to do it in the right spot. It has to be small amounts um, or you'll lose competency of your lip. That's the key. So most most people, there's a lot of people that come in and say, I got this this lip flip, but I couldn't uh, eat. I couldn't, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't purse my lips. I couldn't mm-hmm. suck on a straw. And again, like Dr. Lake, you just said, if it's not done properly, if there's too much, well, you're going to lose that competency. You're not going to be able to whistle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that, that are going to go wrong. Now, will that get better? Sure. But um, it is a beautiful way to get millimeters. Understand, guys, millimeters. This is not something that's going to be like you had lip filler or you, or had, a lip lift. Or you had a lip <laughs> lift. This is just a subtle pop to your lift that is in fashion and it works beautifully. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, moving on. Moving on to one of my favorites um, and probably one of, um, one of the most recommended procedures that we um, have here at our practice and um, around, um, I guess, around the country and around the world. And it's microneedling or something you guys may have heard is the vampire facial. Um, Kim K made it really famous by taking a picture of herself after she had this procedure, which is basically microneedling her face and then taking a little bit of PRP, platelet-rich plasma, which is basically just taken from your blood and then spun down. And we take the liquid gold, which is just platelets, which... Um, are responsible for a ton of growth factors. And then that's just put on top of the skin and also driven in. Now, I'm going to start with microneedling. Um, and I, I remember this distinctly. It was probably about a little bit less than 20 years ago. We were in training and we would have these journal clubs where we'd take the main plastic surgery journal and we'd go through it. And an article came up that really got my attention and one of our boss's attentions. Um, and it was microneedling. And it was basically a, a group took a rat and they took half of the rat's belly and did nothing. And the other half, they microneedled. Um, then they took tiny biopsies and they showed that the collagen and elastin from the side that had microneedling was significantly more. And basically that's the holy grail in what we do for a living. We are always trying to find a way to increase your collagen and elastin. And they increase the thickness of the dermis. Yeah, and that's yeah. exactly what it does. So the thicker we can get your collagen and elastin because we lose about a percent or two a year. Um, 
what we what we have to do is replenish it. And what better way of doing it other than injecting a bunch of filler or other things is doing it naturally. So so basically what happens is we take a microneedling pen or a derma roller, or you can use Morpheus, or you can use anything that's causing injury that is going to cause growth factor stimulation and is going to stimulate collagen and elastin production in the area that's microneedled. Um, by using PRP with it, we're actually adding more growth factors that will go into the area of injury and repair it. Now, we don't use this just for cosmetics. We use this for many different types of procedures. We try to, we basically combat, and we try to at least, stretch marks, scars, any type of injury we've had in areas. Um, PRP has been used for years and years by orthopedics uh, surgeons to help help basically signaling growth factors in areas that have been repaired, like for example, Kobe Bryant's Achilles tendon or people's knees. Now we're going to shift back again to cosmetics. How often do we need to do microneedling? What is the effective way to do it? Is there pain? Is there discomfort? And is there downtime? I'm going to throw that to you. So how often, uh, we have to look at the, the life cycle of collagen production, which is approximately six to eight weeks. And, um, you know, so I would say, you know, that would be a good base. You could do it every six weeks. Some people do it every month because you're kind of overlapping. And I always liken it to aerating a lawn where you kind of poke holes in the lawn and grass grows. Essentially, it's the same thing. And you have to hit a certain depth. I mean, the idea is, you know, uh, I guess if we look gimmick or game changer, if we look at uh, the idea behind, um, you know, those little ones that you can buy off Amazon and the, the needles probably go 0.25 millimeters. Well, do they work? Well, they do, but not in the way that we are talking about. You know, it does increase uh, blood flow to the area, just causes a, a little bit of inflammatory response. But really what we're talking about is hitting the reticular dermis. That is a layer of the thick area of skin. You have outer layers epidermis that serves as a water barrier and protective agent. And then you've got the dermis, which is the thick air, layer of the skin. And so you really have to hit that uh, dermis in order to uh, increase collagen production. So you know, we're talking in some areas of the skin, you're going, you know, one to two millimeters deep. Um, and so the idea is you're poking those little holes, stimulating collagen. Um, and then like Dr. Danipour said, the, the platelet rich plasma, you have to understand you've got about 6% circulating platelets in your body. When you cut yourself, that's the first cell on the scene. And then it calls all the other growth factors. So what we do is we draw a, you know, a, a tube of blood, probably eight, 10 cc's. Then you centrifuge it and it goes through a proprietary little gel and it concentrates the platelets into 92 or more percent. So you've already got all those growth factors willing to be called right there and it's waiting for the signal, which is the trauma that you induce with microneedling. So now you put that over the face, that is, it serves as an amplifier. So the whole goal, you know, again, I'd say do this every six to eight weeks. Um, you know, as far as the depth, that's going to be dependent on where it is on the face, but anywhere from one to two millimeters. Um, and you, you know, you do three sessions each six weeks apart and you will definitely see an improvement in your quality of your skin. And this is something I recommend to our patients to do if they can, once a year, because 
We know scientifically that this works. Meaning the whole cycle. The whole cycle, yes. If you, if you can do three of these sessions a year, even if you do it every other year, we know that it works. Mm-hmm. We know that it has been shown and it's proven and it's been replicated. Um, and when we try and we use this on scars, it is incredible what it does to scars. Mm-hmm. Scars that are incredibly hypertrophic or thickened. Some keloid scars that are, are basically unresponsive to anything. Now, not all keloid scars, but some people that have really bad scars, we've thrown multiple microneedling sessions at them and it has worked very, very well. Mm-hmm. It also helps decrease the appearance a little bit of stretch marks. Um, one day we'll talk about stretch marks and tell you how difficult they are to treat. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll move on because again, some of these topics we can talk forever and ever and ever. Um, microneedling is definitely a game changer, something that I highly recommend to everyone. Definitely. And if, again, if our subscribers have any other questions or you want to ask further to, uh, questions about it, to obtain information, uh, please put that in the comments uh, below. So our next one, I love this one, product lines with all organic or natural ingredients that they're better for the skin. So, you know, listen, I'm obviously biased because we have our own skincare line. And the idea is, you know, there are really three types of lines that I see. One has all chemicals because, you know, they're trying to use the latest and greatest topics in science. One is all natural and organic because um, the branding of that is that this is safe for your body. You won't have any irritation. And um, then the third one, which is to a lesser extent, and it also encompasses our skincare line, is where we use a blend of both, you know? And um, the reason for that is because what we try to do, you have to imagine, most of our medicines, most of our topical ingredients, all our actives are based off of natural things in, uh, in nature. And so the, this is where we get our start, but we tend to use science to help amplify that. So I think, um, you know, we even have a, a synthetic growth hormone uh, topical product because you, you can't really find that in nature. Now, um, the idea for us is, I guess I'll, I'll go back to the question. Are all natural or organic ingredients, uh, are those better skincare lines because they don't cause irritation? That's absolutely not true. That's a gimmick. The idea is, now, are they based off of great things? Yes, of course. Natural ingredients are always a great start, but they can still irritate your skin. I mean, if you look at some of the astringents that are out, you know, uh, St. John's Ward and, uh, you know, things like that that we're using to really help uh, you know, strip some of the, the skin. Um, the idea is that uh, they can dry the skin out just like a chemical product can. And so they have to be used correctly and on the, the, a particular type of skin. And so, uh, sorry, not even St. John's Ward, it's a witch hazel. You know, I think a good skincare line is based in nature but uses science to amplify it. And so um, I would say, you know, keep your eyes and ears open for new lines. If you have any questions, always run it by us because the good part about being a plastic surgeon is that we see hundreds of skincare lines and our patients tell us what works, what, do, what, you know, what doesn't. And then we can look at the actives and say, all right, well, there's something here and can we make it better? And, and that's and, really how our skincare line and is And also just developed. remember that everyone's a little different. Like, what works really for for John versus my skin may be a little different. I may I may react completely different to something that's all natural, mm-hmm. whereas 
he won't. Mm -hmm. So again, I, I completely agree with what, what he had to say. That, that don't, don't get sucked into the fact that if something's natural, it's better. Now, obviously, even our skincare line, we use plant derivatives. We use everything we possibly can that's going to not be very harsh for your body or your skin. Um, but I think there has to be a good blend of them. And I completely agree with you. And we undergo a rigorous testing process by a third party to ensure that these are all safe, uh, that they, that our ingredients are actually what they say they are. I know a lot of skincare lines have been busted in the past when they start looking at the actives that actually uh, they say there's a certain percent and it's not necessarily the case. But uh, I can assure you that everything that we are, are selling is what is advertised. So uh, I think we'll we can on move on. A couple sure. of other topics um, that we'll hit kind of quickly and, and, and move on. Um, one of them being something that we've, on a daily basis, someone comes into the office and asks me this. Can you do that without putting a scar on That is body? my favorite. So scarless <laughs> plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. um, guys, we're plastic surgeons. We're not magicians. And we will do everything we can to always hide scars, to put them in areas where they're not obvious. But with most of the things that we do, number one, a lot of what we do is excising skin. So to take away skin, for example for a breast lift or a tummy tuck. How can we do that without scars? How can we do a facelift without scars? How can we do an eyelid, upper eyelid lift without scars? Now, if people are telling you, like I had someone two days ago that came, well, I saw on the internet that you can do a breast lift scarlessly. Run for the hills. It's impossible. These things are not possible. They're gimmicks. They're huge gimmicks. Now, are there minimally invasive procedures that we have and we use things like body tight and face tight that require very, very small incisions that are hidden? Absolutely. Sure. And, and, and again, those are for the specific candidate. It is not for everyone. You know, just as you said, are there procedures where you could probably through a tiny incision, go in and, and shrink some of the breasts or remove some breast tissue and, and, and heat it up? You can, but it's, it's, you know, there are maybe three patients that fall under that category. The rest will not. Always. If it's too good to be true, guys, it's too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, um, it, there's, there are even people in the area that uh, say there's incisionless liposuction and things like that. There, there is not. And the, and the only thing is instead of using a uh, what we call a number 15 blade to make a tiny incision or a number 11 blade to make a tiny incision, what they're doing is they're using a punch biopsy. Like you, you're still making a hole in the body to accommodate a cannula that goes under the skin and removes fat. So don't get caught up or don't get sold on some of these gimmicks. Um, you know, because listen, <laughs> If we found a way, other than the non-invasive fat reduction devices, which are heat or cold-based, um, once you're removing large volumes in one single setting, that is, there is an incision being made. There's no other way that it can happen. So yeah, just just remember, and I think that what what John just said about the incisionless liposuction, I, I remember when we first started practice and I heard that and I'm like, that's impossible. And then I went and watched and I'm going, they're still making an incision, but they're not calling it an incision because they're not using a knife. So, mm. you know, there are ways to kind of twist words around. But generally speaking, plastic surgery and, and cosmetic surgery, most of the cosmetic surgery procedures that we do require even a small incision. Um, but it doesn't mean that that incision is going to be um, incredibly obvious. We always, the one thing that they teach us from the beginning is hide things. Make it so it's not apparent to the human eye. Mm -hmm. 
Hello, beautiful people. To celebrate the launch of Forever Young, we'd like to offer our listeners a special discount on our premium line of skincare products at beverlyhillsmd.com. Go to beverlyhillsmd.com and use the promo code foreveryoung20 to get 20% off your first order. That's beverlyhillsmd.com, promo code foreveryoung20. Please share, rate, and review on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be right back after this break. So we'll move on to the next one. This is one of my favorite ones. Mm. Um, You know, for those of you who are afraid of Botox and fillers and things like that, because the idea, the gimmick is... That, you know, I've even seen it in, uh, you know, another beauty magazine that you will age more rapidly by using some of these products as soon as you stop. Okay, let's let's back up here. Let's talk about Botox first, or let's talk about neuromodulators, which are uh, uh, neurotoxins just like Botox. The idea behind this is that the more you use it, the muscle atrophies and you have less lines over time. You can still make expressions. This is that, that'll always be a part because you're not knocking out the nerve. You're knocking out the ability for the muscle to contract. So now, does, now, that, now at the same time, that doesn't mean that if you stop using it, you're not going to be able to use that muscle. Mm-hmm. That's the key, and he's going to get into that. Definitely. You know, it used to be that we'd say, um, you know, people would start Botox in their th- late 30s and 40s and things like that. Now you start in your 20s and we have a study out there that shows you probably won't have a wrinkle till you're 50. And it's really the mechanism behind it. So obviously binds acetylcholine, prevents uh, uh, postsynaptic contraction of the muscle. And the goal is, uh, you know, to not be able to fold your skin like an accordion. So anywhere there's a muscle on your face perpendicular to it, there is a line. So that's how you know where the muscles are located. And you want to soften those lines using Botox. So that is definitely a gimmick. The other gimmick. And if you ask 100 plastic surgeons or dermatologists or cosmetic surgeons or people that do Botox, they will tell you it is the number one best tool in our armamentarium Mm -hmm. to prevent facial aging. Sure. Even those people who get brow lifts and facelifts and things like that, it doesn't obviate the need for Botox. I mean, you still use it. Absolutely. But but it doesn't mean that if you do it and if you don't like it, some people come and say, listen, I don't like it being stiff. I don't like the way it is. You never have to do it again. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean anything. It does not mean that, you know, you need to go back and do it. It makes no difference if you stop doing it. Even if you've been doing it for 10 years and you decide, I don't want to do this anymore. It's okay. Yeah, the other option is you can, look do, older. you can yeah, exactly. You can use micro Botox. You can you can literally use less than the normal standard doses. It may not last as long. Um, it may not have the same effect, but it still will help slow the signs of aging. Absolutely. The th- the second gimmick here we look at is um, you know the same thing with fillers. So people say, oh my goodness, once my fillers uh, run out, I'm going to look older than I did before. Well, you know that's kind of a play on words because. Once the fillers do run out, which on average, the company says it lasts 12 months, depends on where that's located. Sometimes it can last longer, sometimes less, Um, but you are going to keep aging. And so obviously, (laughs) once the the filler goes away, you know, arguably you'll be a year older. However, we are not filling you to the point, at least, uh, you know, not Beverly Hills Housewives here. Um, We're saying that 
we're not filling you to the point where we're stretching skin. Um, you know, if there was a way, you know, we in plastic surgery, we used to use what are called expanders. There are these balloons that go under the skin and you rapidly expand the skin over the course of a few weeks. And then you deflate it and you use that extra skin to move over a wound or a joint or something like that. Sure, or breast cancer recovery. Sure. Yeah. And we are not filling you with filler, you know, enough filler for it to rapidly expand and then deflate, uh, you know, at the same time. This is something that, although we fill appropriately, even if we were to overfill a face, it's going to take 12 months for that to go away, at least. And the idea is that your skin slowly contracts over time and returns. Um, so that is definitely a gimmick. Uh, you will not age more if you use Botox and fillers and you uh, discontinue them. Absolutely. And and a lot of the fillers out there now um, actually have some collagen stimulating products in them. So they say that when you do put it in um, over time, you should build some of your own collagen. So hopefully it replaces some of that. So that's, that's another caveat. Um, we can move on to the next topic. Perfect. Next topic is, is again, one of my favorite um, questions that I, we've answered over the last 12 years, probably at least once a week. So what happens to the fat that you take out after liposuction, number one? Number two, are you going to lose weight if you have liposuction? And number three, are your cholesterol levels or triglyceride levels going to come down after liposuction? And these are all really great questions, and they've had a lot of research, a lot of research. So when we answer this, it's not just, hey, you know, I saw three patients that I operated on, and this is what happened. So number one, um, what happens to the fat after you take it out? So let's say, let's say you come in and, and you have liposuction, what a lot of people call 360, where it's your abdomen and your flanks and your back. And you really take out as much fat to give you a really nice contour. I want you to really think about liposuction as something like sculpting. Um, like Michelangelo would take a piece of marble and then he would sculpt out a human body. And the way he did it is he took certain areas away and he left certain areas. And that's what we do with liposuction to create a really nice contour. We try to take out as much fat as we can to continually leave a nice and natural contour after. Now, the areas that are not targeted, however, still have fat cells. And you're born with a certain amount of fat cells. That never changes. So I have a certain amount. Dr. Lakey has a certain amount. And your listeners, you all have a certain amount. That never, ever changes. Now, what does happen when you gain and lose weight is the fat cells themselves they get bigger or also a big fancy word for it is hypertrophy. They get bigger and that's why you look bigger. That's why you gain weight. Now, when the fat cells are taken out from liposuction, those are gone forever. They're never going to come back. But the existing fat cells that you have can still get bigger. And Most you've got time, billions. And you, and you have billions. Most of the time, if you take a lot out of one area, if you gain a significant amount of weight. Now, Listen to me, guys. Significant amount of weight. Five pounds isn't going to do it. We're talking about 20 pounds. If you gain a lot of weight, you will gain weight. And you will gain more weight in areas where the fat has not been taken out. You're not going to get Popeye arms. You're, <laughs> it's going to kind of distribute evenly around your body. But the areas that were not targeted, those are the areas that are going to grow. Now, are you going to lose weight? Listen, fat doesn't weigh very much. And so the idea is sometimes we take out five liters uh, and patients don't see 
you know, a major weight reduction. So the idea is that you take inches off and, you know, really what weighs a lot is our muscle and bone and all, and skin. And so the idea is the more, listen, obese people have a stretched out layer of skin. It's excess. And so will you lose weight when we excise skin or remove it? Definitely. Um, But really just liposuction alone, that is, you know, that's more of a gimmick. You will buy new clothes. They will be smaller on you, 100%, depending on what areas are targeted. If you're doing your thighs, your leggings will be a smaller side. If you're doing your your abdomen, for, for men, a very common uh, area to do liposuction is the chest or, and underneath the armpits because they say the dress shirts don't fit well because they've gained weight in those areas. And it's a game changer. It really is. It really does make things fit better, but you're not going to change what the scale says. So don't look forward to that. And then lastly, what about the labs? Is it going to change your labs? And this is very, very interesting because there's been a lot of research on this. And what it does show is that your cholesterol levels will be the same, but there can be a decrease in your triglyceride levels. So interestingly enough, it does take away fat. And sometimes that that fat that's there um, can cause a little bit of a bump in your triglycerides. So it does help with that. Um, so it has been shown to, to change some of the lab values over time, as long as you maintain a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Very important, guys. Plastic surgery is not meant for people to come get it and then live an unhealthy lifestyle because it's not worth it. it, There's no reason for it. There's no reason to do liposuction, tummy tucks, or facelifts and have people go smoke and drink and sit in the sun and gain weight. You make lifestyle modifications and you stick with them and they last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, listen, I think we're going to comment on one last, this is gimmick or game changer. Um, you know, and I see this firsthand, uh, you know, my wife does this as well on a daily basis. It's called dermaplaning. And so the idea is you're taking a blade and you're gently running it, uh, almost parallel to the skin surface. And what it kind of does is it removes what we call tiny little velous hairs. Um, so it, it gives the, the skin a smoother appearance. It also removes some of the top layers of the epidermis. And so sometimes the epidermis has that dry, scaly, or almost consider a a, a dusty appearance. And uh, when we do things like exfoliate or we do certain lasers that ablate or remove uh, the top layers of skin, you see healthier skin underneath. So this is definitely a game changer. Uh, Not only, again, anytime you rub something against the skin, it leads to an increase in blood flow. That inflammatory response calls in growth factors because the body is assuming an injury, and so it can only help. But the second thing that it does, which is the real reason why it's a game changer, is because it actually removes those top dusty layers. So to do this on a nightly basis or every morning, uh, it can be a game changer. It, it simply just creates a smoother appearance to the skin. And also you have to understand that some of the, we call them nevi or uh, moles or things like that, um, not necessarily the moles, but some of the what we uh, uh, age spots such as actinic keratosis or seborrheic keratosis, things like that that start initially start with a few layers of these cells, and they're easy to ablate or remove with a laser. 
But if you continually keep up with dermaplaning, you can sometimes remove some of those very superficial areas. So listen, uh, that is definitely a game changer. I do think that um, it should be a part of uh, a regimen um, just for the, the reasons that I listed before. So we kind of touched on rice water, jade rollers. So rice water is uh, definitely a game changer. Jade roller, game changer, mini fridge uh, gimmick, PDO threads gimmick, lip flip is definitely a game changer. The vampire facial or microneedling, definitely a game changer. Product lines with all natural ingredients that they don't hurt the skin, that is a gimmick. Scarless surgery is a gimmick. Uh, you know, that you're going to age more with Botox filler. That is definitely a gimmick or a myth. Fat redistribution post-lipo, uh, including is it going to improve your labs and, and all things like that. Um, listen, it's a game changer for the fact that it'll improve the contour. It improves your triglycerides. It is, uh, you know, a gimmick uh, that... Um, you, you know, essentially you're going to look like Popeye if we, you just uh, liposuction around the uh, the midsection. And dermaplaning is definitely a, ga- a game changer. Perfect. Thanks for listening in, guys. And again, like I said before, if there are things that we missed, there's only so much time we have, but we'll be happy to touch on them again um, in our next podcast. If you have any questions about anything, if you think it's a gimmick or you feel like you've been um, gimmicked, (laughs) um, let us know and and we can kind of shed some light on it. Uh, We appreciate you listening in. Definitely. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, Hopefully we've enlightened a few of you and don't forget to watch our weekly episodes of Forever Young. Again, I'm Dr. John Lakey. I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Poor. You can listen to uh, our podcasts on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Amen. Peace. Take care. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.